Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Electric Chair. I am your host, Midnight Corey. Tonight, I have a very special, special episode for you. I can't wait. This has been one that's been a long time in the making. My very special guest tonight is a man who actually knows even more about zombie movies than I do. Far more. And uh, he's somebody that I listen to regularly, and I take his word on on what zombie movies to see and what not to see, because he and I line up so well. He's batting a thousand with me on his recommendations, and that is, of course, one of the hosts of the highly esteemed A Little Dead podcast, Mr. Mike Zombie. Welcome. Wow, thank you. Uh, Thank you, Carl. I'm actually looking around thinking, oh my God, who else is on the show with him tonight? This is killing me. (laughs) (laughs) You're the the best. Thank you. Oh, but dude, yeah. Thanks for having me. Oh, this is, uh, like I said, been a long time in the making. We've been talking months and months now. We have been planning this specific uh, show for months, and it, uh, the stars finally lined up, and we're going to kick its ass tonight. Yes, I certainly appreciate this. Now, I'm, I'm sure everybody out there is probably thinking right now that uh, we're going to really get into zombie movies, but they are wrong. Oh, wrong. they are very wrong, because while we are both indeed zombie fanatics, we also share another passion, and that is really heavy music, metal. We're both metalheads. Is that not right? Oh, that's it couldn't be any more correct, sir. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And uh, this episode tonight is going to be all about metal from sort of our formative years, uh, the 80s and 90s. And I think, uh, you know, a couple decades that are the most special and most influential and original and innovative as far as metal goes. And uh, it, it's going to be really, really exciting, man. It's, uh, you know, it, and it, this all just began sort of a, as a conversation we were having on Facebook. And I, I don't even remember how it started. Nor do I. I probably just a comment on, uh, hey, that was a great song. And, uh, oh, you like that? Yeah, well, me too. And uh, I mean, we're, we're pretty close in age. And, um, yeah. Probably, probably attended a lot of the same tours and just um, followed a lot of the same bands. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's going to be great. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this is all based off of that conversation. I don't even remember a lot of what we talked about then. Uh, I know if, I can remember a few of the bands that were brought up, but, uh, you know, nothing. We were just, we seemed to really be hitting it off there as far as music goes. And we're just like, man, we, we got to get something together. So absolutely, oh, this is going to be fun. And uh, we're going to try to keep it under some sort of manageable uh, control here and uh, try not to go too crazy. Because like I said, man, I started thinking about this and I started writing down bands. And then I, it made me think of other bands and albums and different things. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, we could uh, we can go on and on and on all night and have a ridiculous, ridiculous podcast. But um, absolutely. And that that's not fair to anybody. No. <laughs> No, that's too much. Yeah, there's, the problem is, as we're spanning uh, '80s to '90s, and so much went on, so many great bands, so many underrated bands, uh, and so many bands fragmented, and those people went off to make other great bands. I mean, so you could go, you could follow a chain on and on and on and on. It just becomes, uh, it's crazy. So, oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, Mike, I'm interested in um, you know looking into the '80s now. Um, you know. We're, we were both, uh, you know, growing up, I was uh, getting into junior high school and everything around that time, but I was mostly in the elementary school sort of uh, period of my life. And uh, so for you, um, what's, the, what's the first sort of uh, heavy stuff that you'd listen to? Or, or was, there, was there like an earliest memory of, of a song that was heavier? Or, or I mean, oh, how, yeah. how, how, how'd you get into this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I remember where I was and the guy that turned me on to it. Now, growing up, I'd been exposed to, from my parents, a lot of country, but from my siblings, a lot of punk. They caught the real first wave of punk, so I was, 
I was up to the I was I was into the faster music and I'd listen to a little bit of light metal or whatever, but I was in Woodshop, in Mr. Stack's Woodshop class. Of all places, we'd moved to Boise, Idaho for a year. And I was in there, and this guy, Casey Christensen, had a, a boombox. We had boomboxes back then. Yes. And he started blasting the song that literally my head turned, and I went over to him, and I said, what is this? What, I mean, I demanded. I was so excited. It, it, it made me just get so pumped. What is this? The song, and it was a new band to me, and it's just not my fault. I'd never been into the music that much up until then. The song was Leper Messiah. Wow. From Master of Puppets album, I'm speaking, of course, of Metallica, yeah. and uh, the intro that just—it was like a light had, had gone on in the dark, and I was blown away. And I made him play it probably 17 more times before hmm. the end of class. Wow! How about you? Oh man, it will. Um, it it sort of follows a weird path for me because I was sheltered from a lot of this. Um, my you know my whole life, of course, during the 80s. You know, my parents were, you know, sort of part of that mindset of uh, a lot of parents during that decade where heavy metal was bad. These these people were just degenerates making this music and they're just drunk. They're on drugs. They're doing all these crazy things. So keep your kids away. And uh, so that's what my parents did. I was never allowed to listen uh, to, uh, you know, a lot of stuff, even hard rock stuff. Uh, it was sort of a hard thing to get my parents to accept. And so I sort of had to work myself into it gradually. Um you know, I started off with, uh, you know, hair metal. And uh, so, that you know, there were bands, oh man, Bon Jovi, Poison, things like that. Um, but really what, what got me interested in the metal genre, heavier stuff, was while my mom was grocery shopping. Um, she would take me along and I'd just hang out in the magazine aisle. And I'd just flip through like Metal Edge and all these metal magazines oh, and yeah. just, just read about these people coming out, read about Ozzy. And, uh, you know, the, the, the different bands just coming out and, and growing up in the 80s that were huge. And I just, I'd look at them like, wow, these people are so, I've never seen anything like this. And uh, then my friends uh, that I was uh, kind of growing up with, uh, when I was over to their houses, they would, uh, they'd be playing a little edgier stuff. So they'd be playing, uh, they'd be playing Ozzy. They'd be playing, uh, you know, like Wasp and uh, different things like that. I loved Wasp. Yeah, yeah. So um, that really got me into it. But really, I just had to, I had to, I had to really sneak around and uh, and listen to it. So I didn't get to listen to a whole lot of heavy stuff. I think uh, the first stuff that really, really got to me was uh, towards the end of the '80s. Um, and actually, uh, it was Metallica myself. But uh, whenever I heard uh, "Injustice for All." had just come out and uh one one was getting heavy airplay it was on mtv and of course i lived out in the sticks so we didn't get cable or anything but uh whenever i went into town uh i'd go to the ymca my sister had dance lessons at the ymca on friday afternoons and so after school i'd have to go and hang out in the lounge of the ymca while my sister had dance lessons and they'd have mtv on and uh i always saw I'd, i'd see metallica i'd see megadeth and, um, man, whenever I heard one, one was the heaviest thing that I've ever heard in my life up to that point. Um, especially when it gets into the thrash part and sure. I just could not believe what I was hearing. And then, uh, of course, Megadeth was the other one. Um, Hangar 18 is one that really stands oh. out to me just being, yeah. uh, just being insane. And I'm like, these bands are crazy, but there's no way that I could ever go out and buy a cassette at this point. 
uh, and bring it into the house because my mom would, you know, my parents would just immediately confiscate it. You know, I can't be listening to it. So I'd have to sneak around. Um, you know, I actually found out uh, at, a, you know, quite an early age that if you took a cassette tape that was previously recorded on that you'd bought at the store, you know, like I bought like a, say I had like a Debbie Gibson or a Tiffany cassette. <laughs> if you took a piece of tape and you put it over that little hole on the top of it, you could record over it. And so I had lots of, you know, Debbie Gibson, Tiffany, um, you know, pop music from the 80s that I bought sure. that uh, I gave to my friends with a little piece of tape put over the thing. And I'd say, hey, could you, could you dub me that Metallica album or could you dub me, you know, that Motley Crue? You know, that sounded really crazy. Could you, could you dub that, you know, onto this tape? And so they would and they were cool enough to do that. Um, but no, it's funny, Metallica... Uh, it was sort of the one for me too, but uh, it was it was a little bit later on because I just you know I I didn't have access to it and I wasn't really allowed to listen to it. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's a funny link. Uh, not to get too far ahead here, I'm looking at I do have the I have a collection of ticket stubs. I'm looking at the first concert I ever went to, uh, Shoreline Amphitheater. Uh, Bill Graham presents Metallica and Faith No More, Friday, September 15th, 1989 at 8.30 p.m. That was the Injustice for All tour, first concert wow. I ever saw. And, oh, my God, still may be to this day the best concert. I was a huge Metallica fan. The stage broke apart and swung and exploded. Still probably the best show I've ever seen. Wow. Wow. And that was your first album. That was, see? Yeah. Yeah. It was a great time for music. Yeah. That was a great album. That was a great <sighs> album on the way around. It was. It was. And it wasn't until later on that I became more critical of it, just in light of, you know, Master of Puppets, Ride the Lightning sure. and everything. And the whole the whole bassist situation as I learned about that, and I picked up the bass myself, and so I start learning about Cliff Burton and whatnot. And uh, sort of, uh, you know, that they... They really mixed zero bass into the into that album, and it was purely yeah. just to mess with the the new guy, uh, yeah, Jason just, Newstead, just to haze him. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you know, I, I kind of get it, but uh, and of course, uh, you know, Metallica, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get into uh, sort of the path that they've they've taken, uh, you know, especially throughout the '90s and sort of the the weirdness that's ensued. But uh, yeah. it, it was great. It, it's actually really cool you brought up Faith No More because that was another band that I was able to sort of work in. I actually got to buy, um, what was it, the real thing on cassette yep. um, because they were just they, they were just okay enough for my parents to accept. But uh, they had some heavy tracks on there, man, that sure. really oh, sort of did that for me, you know. Um, like what... what um, Jim Martin had great tone. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, what was the instrumental, the... Um, and I'm thinking of the one right in the middle of the album. I think it was the the, the first song on the second side of the cassette. Uh, something from Mars, Woodpeckers from Mars, or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah, and it was just so da 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 and it was so thick and heavy. And they have a lot of those moments while still, you know, uh, you know, being able to have some tracks played on on the radio, you know, and uh, of course with Epic and so. Um, but uh, and of course Mike Patton. Uh, has done talk about it talk about a jack of all trades what has he not done he's oh, amazing yeah yeah and he he admits it himself he's just he works and works and works and has has like 15 bands going on at any given point in time and it's insane. yeah yeah, it really is. yeah but um no it's great because he's good i mean a lot of people yeah. that stretch themselves thin don't have much to show for it but he really he's never stopped that's right. and what, what that's, that's oh yeah my good stuff yeah absolutely Absolutely. Now, at the end of the 80s, were you ever uh, like a Guns N' Roses fan? Uh, 
and I'm and I'm not saying this to be the cool guy that didn't like Guns and Roses. Uh, first album I thought was great. Uh, I think, and it was so overplayed, at least where I lived. I mean, I grew up uh, absolutely couldn't be anymore on the West Coast, Northern Bay Area. They played it every other song. I really can't take it anymore. I can, st- I still like Rocket Queen and um, yeah, maybe another one or two, but I didn't follow them after that album. It just, I don't know, I just d- wasn't that into them, but it wasn't because, you know, I was too cool. It just, right. uh, there was so much other going on, so much else musically going on at the time that just, I... I only had so much time to listen. Yeah, I was uh, I was on the bandwagon there for a while um, because again they were they were a band that was getting heavy airplay um, on a lot of pop stations, um, which is sort of uh, not what Metallica was doing. You you didn't hear Metallica on the radio on a top forty no. station, but you did hear Guns N' Roses. Um, of course, Welcome to the Jungle, Sweet Child of Mine, Paradise City. You know all those were getting heavy airplay, and again yeah. they had enough of an edge, enough you know they were heavy enough. That, um, you know, I could listen to them. Now, of course, I couldn't go buy them. You know, they were still, they're still kind of the bad boys out there. So I wasn't able, you know, my parents didn't let me go out and, and buy any of their tapes or anything. But um, did they, did they follow the PMRC recommendations? Was that, was that what was going on or just, they just didn't like it? They just didn't like it. And oh. they, they just knew through the grapevine, talking with other parents, just knowing, you know, it just, uh, they knew what to keep me from. And, right. Uh, so you just know, made you want it more. The oh, oh exactly. how that works. <laughs> that's exactly what it was, because, uh, you know, as soon as uh, I sort of started getting more independent, uh, of course, as I got into high school, man, I, I, the doors blew wide open. Um, and that that really happened in the in the early 90s. But uh, just um, about Guns N' Roses, it, w- it was sort of funny. I remember I think it was fifth grade, uh, fifth or sixth grade. And um and Justice for All had just come out. Of course, Guns N' Roses are hugely popular with uh, Appetite. And sure. um, there was this whole thing in my classroom, in my homeroom. Um, we were taking a survey, going around to all the kids. And Guns N' Roses or Metallica? You know, which one? You got to vote. And it was like Guns N' Roses 25, Metallica 2. And it was sure. like the two weird little metalhead guys, you know, who were... They were, they were oh. passing tapes. Because oh, yeah. There was no other way to get them. Right, you know? right. And uh, so, you know, it, you know, Metallica was still just sort of the sort of this weird, uh, you know, at least in my neck of the woods and, and where I was at that time, it, they were sort of re- reserved for the for the real hardcore, the metalhead kids and everything. And, um, you know, Guns N' Roses was still where it was at. But I'm like you, you know, I thought GNR Lies um, was sort of a novel kind of album. You know, it was a, a lot of acoustic stuff and, yeah. you know, it was... You know, of course, you know, Patience, of course, I love that song, you know, whenever sure, that was But they were, be, they were being played at school dances. You yeah. Could, you could hear some GNR at the dance. You're like, oh, boy. You know, so, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, and they were still the bad boys, you know. And so while they were still on pop stations, they were, you know, they had that edge. They were they were sort of bad. You know, Slash was always smoking a cigarette while he was playing. That was bad, you know. And always had pictures of them drinking and and partying and everything and which turns out wasn't just for pictures sake they were pretty messed up and doing a lot of heroin so oh yeah I'll, yeah I'll at least say that they they talked the talk but i mean i wasn't a fan but they talked the talk and they sure walked the walk they didn't play around yeah yeah and another one that i got into um uh, again i think this is early 90s getting into uh, motley crew i was never really into them during uh, like girls 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 or uh you know uh, theater of pain or anything like that Mm-hmm. Um, the album that actually really struck a chord with me was Dr. Feelgood. 
because um, I like that song. I like to kickstart my heart. Um, mm-hmm. But I think we're sort of getting into the into the '90s this, at this point. But I think there's a lot of a lot of '80s mentality that carries over into like the beginning of the '90s. Um, oh sure, you know, absolutely. And then there's sort of a brick wall in the '90s that you hit. Um, I'll just say it's with with Nirvana. It, it's called Nirvana. That, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That uh, really was a huge. It was wrapped th- in a flannel. I don't know what happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I I went through a Motley Crue phase mainly because of that album. You know, did you like? Uh, did you like Doctor Feelgood? Um, Doctor Feelgood. That was the the first time I saw them. Was on that tour. I I, I was in Girls 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 simply because. Uh, the video was great, and I was like, is this drum kit really doing a loop? I love it. <laughs> now, the music was what it was, but uh, yeah, visually it was very nice. I was in junior high, seventh grade, as I recall, when I was watching that video, and I looked at my mom, and I'm like, yeah, I don't think I want to be watching this video with you because there's boobs in it. So <laughs> it was kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. But <laughs> but yeah, so for, for, a, for a period of time, I did like that album. Dr. Feelgood was good, and I, I honestly didn't follow them any further. Yeah. Just, yeah. Same with me. I, I dropped. I just dropped off. You know. After that, I just wasn't quite as interested. They did a greatest hits. I think after that, and then they just, you know, their their addictions and problems sort of got the best of them and got weird. And they know, had and, a girl drummer for a while. That was kind of interesting. And they replaced Vince Neil briefly, which was weird. So. See, I missed that whole. I had no idea that happened. That's because I just I, I just missed out on on a lot of that. So. Now, wow. guess what? You, you didn't miss much. <laughs> yeah, you really didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got out while the getting was good. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm happy that uh, I did. But uh, I'll tell you what, man. As far as metal goes, of course, you know, Metallica was huge for me. But, uh, you know, it, that was still during a time when it was still kind of sketchy for me. But I'll tell you, there, there's one uh, metal album that uh, was right around 1990, 1991, that so uh, captured my attention. And it was one of these things I had it dubbed on a tape by a friend of mine and it was a constant thing. I think I listened to this album every morning on the bus going to school and then coming home again, I'd listen to it again. Um, It was just that amazing and it's something that I can still listen to today and say this album rocks. It is so heavy and and I think it's my favorite album by this group. Um, And it's probably one of my favorite metal bands of all time. Um, I'm talking about Anthrax. Oh, nice. Uh, Do you know what album I'm talking about? Okay, uh, let me guess. Around that time, it was probably just about my album I couldn't stop listening to. It was State of Euphoria, which was amazing. I I was just, actually, I was just outside of that. I'm talking about Persistence of Time. Oh, uh, you know, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Did you see him on that tour with the spinning clock? That was uh, really nice. Oh, I wish I could have. I wish I could have. Um, but again, you know, being in the situation I was, you know, I was still, you know, sort of under my parents' rule under that, you know, so I had no hope of going to see a show like this oh, at that man. point in time, you know. And uh, so I was listening. But, uh, you know, of course, then uh, I heard Persistence of Time, couldn't stop listening to it. And so I did. I got my friends. I'm like, Oh, what have they done? You know, give me more Anthrax. And so they gave me State of Euphoria. They gave me um, what was the one before that with I Am the Law and um, yeah, that uh, was uh, I Am the Law was on Among the Living. Among the Living, yeah, yeah, another great album. Um, but but, uh, but but there was there was a there's a big difference between well Anthrax has had many phases. Oh yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, I, I first discovered Anthrax listening to S.O.D. I didn't know that it was, oh, beautiful. It was half Anthrax. And what an amazing, speak English or die is still <laughs> yes. one of the, when that album came out, the whole metal world had to stop and turn and say, what the hell is that? <laughs> Scott Ian, I mean, why he had all that aggression and, and Charlie Bonani and, and well, Billy Milano and Dan Lilker just kicked ass. I mean, that album, the whole runtime is probably 20 minutes if you're lucky, both sides. Oh, yeah. Of that tape. It was fast. Yeah. But uh, that transitioned to uh, Anthrax. Well, Anthrax was formed that was done as a side thing. But even with Anthrax, there was a big difference. Everything pre State of Euphoria, uh, then on forward, maybe to the John Bush years. Yeah. yeah. When it kind of seemed to change again. But yeah, Persistence of Time was an amazing album. And their first, uh, I, I think their first video that I ever saw with Got the Time. Got the Time, which, one of my was favorite. was a great cover. One of, I, I think one of the top five covers of all time. Anywhere. I agree. I agree. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. Yeah. And I just could not believe that was, uh, you know, really, I mean, it's funny, you know, you look at uh, Anthrax, Metallica, Slayer, Megadeth, they were sort of the big four, you know, yep. thrash bands of the 80s. Um, and uh, what drew me to these bands that bands like Guns N' Roses and uh, even, you know, I, I went through a phase with Skid Row and, you know, a lot of those kind of bands. Snake's a great guitarist. Even uh, he, he, oh, he, had yeah. a, he had a big fan. You're not going to believe this. He had a big fan in Dimebag Daryl. I read an yeah, interview yeah, in actually, magazine where he was like that squeal at the end of I'll Remember. He said Dimebag said, that was a great squeal. Because that's, you know, Dime loved those kind of quirky little sounds. Oh, yeah. And I know uh, they had a lot of great things to say. They um, they opened for Skid Row, um, at least on oh, one God. big tour. Really? And, oh, I yeah. That. Yeah. And uh, it was during, uh, da, 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 I think it was during their Vulgar. I think during uh, uh, touring for Vulgar. And because um, I'm reading Rex Brown's book right now that just came out, okay. which is amazing. And uh, he's talking about all this. But uh no, he was saying how um, Skid Row, you know, they got heavier and heavier uh, after their debut album, you know, that was really right. sort of radio friendly. Um, but uh, yeah, and that was that was always my thing with Skid Row. I sort of had a love-hate relationship with them because the albums, you know, the albums sounded pretty good. But whenever I saw them live, they just seemed a whole lot heavier and have a whole lot more uh, more power to them. Well, but uh, they they were poppy and they were sold that way, but they were competent musicians. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, there yep. wasn't anything light about them. It wasn't poison, you know. It right. was they, they could actually well, not say poison couldn't, but uh, Skid Row could really get it done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of talent. And I wasn't there. Even, I wasn't even a big fan, but but yeah, they they were all competent musicians. Yeah, and it, so something that uh, stuck out to me, you know, again with Anthrax and Metallica and Megadeth that uh, bands like Skid Row didn't always give to me. Now, Skid Row did do this live, and that's why I, I was so torn with them. But uh, to me, it's uh, the use of palm muting on the guitar, like really thick, heavy palm muting, um, sure. was uh, really what hooked me into metal, and especially listening to Anthrax, um, the way uh, uh, Scott Ian, man, Scott Ian is, is uh, again, one of my top favorite rhythm guitarists of all time. I um, agree. But uh, that's a technique on guitar specifically, that so got to me because it's so thick and it's so heavy and no other like real genre of music utilizes that technique at all. You know, it's specifically heavy, heavy music that uses it. And, uh, you know, so I was, I was really into persistence of time. I was really into anthrax. And of course I wasn't playing anything, 
I wasn't playing guitar or anything like that at the time. So I went to my guitarist friend who I knew listened to a lot of music. He was real into Ozzy and, and stuff. And uh, he was actually really, really good. And I right. said, you know, what is he doing there? How do you make a guitar sound like this? And, uh, you know, just thinking uh, about the first, uh, the first track on Persistence of Time, which is uh, called Time. And it's just like, dun, 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 dun. And uh, I'm like, how do you do that? And he's like, oh, that's easy. You know, you do put your hand on the, on, you know, down by the bridge and you just sort of do this. And I'm like, I love that sound. I love that tone. You know, it's so thick. It's so, you know, there's just something about it. And so uh, it's just funny. That's what really drew me into really heavier, heavier music. And even to this day, I just love, love palm muting stuff. I love it's, it. It's palm muting. Like I said earlier, that was the part of the intro to Leopard Messiah that pulled me in was the yeah. palm muting from Hetfield. And not a lot of guys can do it clean and fast. Right. Uh, Ian and Hetfield, Hetfield can jackhammer that even at his age now. I think he's got to be 50. Uh, yeah. he, can still, he can still get it done. Absolutely. Palm muting is so important. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And just talking about, you know, my, my favorite uh, rhythm guitarists of all time, those are guys that can do that, you know. And uh, despite what I, what I may think of Hetfield nowadays, you know, he's up there. Scott Ian's up there. Dime is up there. Um, you know, just of guys that have that technique down and, yeah. and uh, yeah. can do it so fast. But, um, yeah, so Persistence uh, was one that I played every day, multiple times a day, and it uh, was absolutely amazing. And that takes us into the 90s now, because it doesn't sound like you were, you were a big hair metal guy at all, you know. Oh, you can don't, let, don't let me too cool myself away from <laughs> hair metal. No, because it's like the commercials say, every metal head has a soft side. You know, every time yeah. there was a breakup, oh, man, you got to listen to you got to listen to some hair metal. Um, I liked a little bit of all kinds of bands that were hair metal. Uh, I'm st I still love Wasp. I'm not going to lie. Something about Blackie Lawless's voice and the way he harmonizes over himself. Hmm. It's always tonally appealed to me, even though a lot of their music has kind of eh, gone kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of it's been really super repetitive, but I've always liked Blackie. Um, I can, I'm trying to think back. Uh, a little bit of Motley Crue, a little bit of GNR, and I do mean a little bit, a little bit of Poison, even a couple songs. I'm like, ah, it's okay. Uh, I liked Rat a cool, little bit. Cool, cool, yeah. Um, but not a lot of hair metal. I like That would be what my girlfriend was listening to while I was listening to Sepultura and Slayer. And so nice. we would get together in the car and find some happy medium, uh, which probably meant just whatever she wanted to listen to. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> And with me, you know, uh, hair metal was sort of, uh, you know, is sort of a, a middle ground. You know, I, I really liked Anthrax and and Metallica, and of course, I was shielded from a lot of those, a lot of those bands, and you know, I was encouraged to listen to the more poppy stuff, the safer stuff. And so, hair metal was, you know, sort of a safer ground for me to be able to tread on. And um, it's the marijuana you know, of the music world. It's the gateway. It's the gateway. The yes. gateway drug. The evil. The evil. Talent. Yes. And that awful, awful <laughs> makeup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so that's where I, and I, I was into it uh, because really I had nowhere else to go. Um, so there was a lot of white snake, a lot of Def Leppard uh, slaughter. Oh, yeah. Hey, Def Leppard. Let's not undersell Def Leppard. Uh, what was that? What, I mean, which album they had in the eighties was almost every single song became a number one. That was Hysteria. Hysteria. Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> we we would be cruising in the car with pour some sugar on me, blasting, oh, trying man. to get women to check us out. Every song on that CD was just a smash. Yeah, yeah. I got no issues with Def Leppard. They were fine. They're good. Yeah, and uh, you know the the drummer 
people have talked about time and time again, just uh, amazing. I, I don't know if you drum at all. I, I play drums myself, and I couldn't imagine doing that minus one appendage. I think he's better now. Granted, he uses a lot of triggers, but I, I think yeah. since the accident, he's been more he's been more thoughtful about what he's actually put together and done. I think he's better person. It's more he's forced to be more innovative and creative, and to yeah. to still make the you know percussion kit work despite his his challenge there. And uh, yeah, that's that's a key to greatness, I think. And you're exactly right, exactly right. It's uh, but to me, it's amazing. And and just knowing my limited skills on the drum kit right now, I just I. I'm like, I would suck even worse right now on drums if I didn't even have one of my arms, you know, that'd, that'd be terrible. But I'm a uh, great drummer for about seven seconds and you realize that the pace has gone. Just <laughs> but for seven seconds, you're like, shit, look at him go. Oh, never mind. Never mind. No, he's gone 10 seconds. We can hear a lot of holes in that game. All right. Yeah. But uh, I mean, that was that was another one, you know, back early on. Uh, my cousin actually got me into Def Leppard and I was a big fan. You know, we listened to a lot of Hysteria and Pyromania, which is the one right before that. That was uh, really, really great. Right. Um, and uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, that was uh, that was what I was into. Um, and Slaughter, like I said, was another one. They had, oh, yeah. uh, you know, Up All Night, which was a huge one towards the end of the 80s. That, uh, everyone... And a lot of that you could thank MTV for. Yeah. Because yeah. when hair metal came out, it it was so embraced by MTV um, that it, you couldn't avoid it. You couldn't. It was everywhere. Right, right. And MTV had, uh, I think, one of their best uh, segments, shows, whatever you want to call it on, of that whole decade that came out of that, which was the Headbangers Ball. Absolutely. Dude, that was so awesome. I didn't have cable, but I'll tell you what, every night, every uh, Friday night, I uh, made it a point to make sure that I was going over uh, to spend the night at my friend Derek's house because Derek lived in town and he had cable. And nice. we would bring up the Headbangers Ball with Ricky Rackman. And, uh, dude. That's when it was a little more real because before it was uh, Tim Curry, or no, Adam Curry. Yeah. And he was kind of like, well, you know. I've got the hair. I'll wear this jacket. But you can tell. You can tell I'm more into Night Ranger. Yeah, <laughs> Not that there's yeah. anything wrong with Night Ranger, yeah. but he wasn't into the music. You could you could tell by the way he would talk about it. Ricky was kind of a schmooze, but at least you know that he was into the music. Yeah, he was, he was at least uh, you know mostly legit um, in yeah. what he did. But uh, that's where I saw Headbangers Ball, dude. That's where I saw. Like weird stuff, um, or, or well, not weird stuff, but at the time for me it was. You know, I saw um, ACDC blow up your video, oh, yeah. um, which was you know before they really, really I think hit hit it big with um, uh, what's the album with Thunder, The Razor's Edge. Yeah, Razor's um, Edge. Um, but um, another one that sticks out to me is uh, Sam Kinison doing Wild Thing. Wild Thing, yeah. Oh man. <laughs> with, with a cast of just about everybody making an appearance in that video, yeah, and uh, and uh, Jessica looking great, of course. It was course. Jessica, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. yeah. Oh. Smoking hot. Oh, but man, that was something. Uh, yeah, I uh, I just saw a lot of things on the Headbangers Ball that uh, you know I never saw anywhere else. And of course, being that I was being sheltered from this, I, I never got to. Uh, you know, see this kind of stuff or listen to this kind of stuff. And so Headbangers Ball was huge, huge to yeah, me. It, it was great. Me too. Me too. Yeah. And you, and you would, you would find out about new bands and so, and so, and when a video was shot kind of in, in a different style and you'd kind of be, Oh, what's this all about? Uh, like the first time I saw uh, mother by Danzig. Oh like, man. What is this? all? this is awesome. What is this all about? He looks like the guy from the misfits. Wait a minute. 
Hold on, is that Glenn Danzig? Whoa, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean and that was all, um, all brought to me by MTV. I mean, yeah, I I had really no clue on Danzig. I had heard had had listened to the Misfits a bit. I mean, I I like them a lot more now actually, but um, but yeah, but to get those to get those images brought out, great stuff. A lot of great videos back then. Crazy stuff. I'm trying to think. Oh God. Yeah, a lot of oh, great Megadeth too. Like you mentioned, the oh, uh, yeah. uh, Rust in Peace was a phenomenal album. Yes, great oh. videos. And I, oh man, we don't have eight hours to do this, Corey. I swear. Oh, I know. And like I said, this could easily get just way out of control and way crazy because there's so much. Part two is going to be in the works. We'll we'll get oh. this figured out. Might I, think so. I think so. I think so. Wow. Um, well, Megadeth. Have you ever seen Megadeth? Um, uh, probably I probably, you know, I, I sold you a bill of goods when I told you I'd seen Pantera seven times looking through my ticket stubs here. I've seen them four. uh, Megadeth. I've seen six times. Wow, man. Lucky man. I've only seen them once. And that was actually last year, uh, with really? Rob zombie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I'm glad I did. That was sort of on my bucket list. You know, as far as, uh, there are a lot of bands out there, um, that are sort of, up, they've been going a long time, and they're sort of up there and aging. And you don't, I mean, yeah, it's terrible to say, but you, you, you never know when they're, they're going to kick it, you know? We've exactly. seen a lot of uh, very tragic early deaths. Um, Absolutely. And, uh, of course, Dave Mustaine, Megadeth, I mean, I, I got to see him. I got to see him at least once, you know, put it up there. And uh, so when they were coming to Pittsburgh, I just, uh, especially with Rob Zombie, he always puts on a great show. But, yeah. um, you know, so I had to go see it, but, of course, it took me forever because with Megadeth, um, when I really started getting into them, it wasn't until uh, Countdown to Extinction. Um, because that was, uh, you know, again, through a lot of years that uh, I sort of had to work it in with my parents to start listening to the heavier stuff more and more and more and be able to go out and explore it. And sure. um, so, uh, you know, Countdown uh, was a great album. Um, Foreclosure of a Dream was on MTV oh. quite, uh, quite a bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you could kind of go, hey, see, Mom, see, look how nice it's like about conservation, and it's all good. It's, it's uh, then she hears, like, sweating bullets, you know, and, <laughs> you know, that's all that's out the, the door. That's the thing about Dave Mustaine is I love Megadeth's recorded studio albums, and I love them live, but Dave's voice live just really bugs me. He gets really nasally and really whiny. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's got that, that that's whole the thing. Only thing. That's the only thing I, I that just that kind of makes me back away a bit. But I love him. I absolutely do. And I'm so glad that Metallica booted him out for yes. being a drunk when they were just total drunks as well. Because it fueled that anger and that creative force and made him. And he went through some amazing guitarists. He went through Chris Poland. Oh, he went yeah. through, I mean, just, I mean, Marty Friedman just ripping his way through amazing guitars. Yeah. And even uh, now with with Broderick, man. I yeah. Mean, wow. Have you yeah. seen Have you seen him with Broderick? I've of not course. seen them live. I've, I've got a couple of their DVDs. I've not actually seen them live. My son is just blown. He just thinks it's the greatest thing he's ever seen. I'm like, yeah, I've seen Megadeth when he was like, I've seen, I've seen Dave Mustaine when he was really coked up and skinny. <laughs> he's looking chubby now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Broderick totally blows him out of the water. I mean, Mustaine, he's, Dave's a great guitarist. Don't get me wrong. Um, he's always been a little bit sloppy. You know, he, he's not, you know, I almost uh, equate him to like a Jimmy Page sort of guitarist you know yeah, great great guitarist yeah. you know not the cleanest no you know no. as far as technique goes but no. uh still amazing but you know just hearing him with the likes of these great great guitarists um and right now i mean just seeing him like i said last summer 
I saw him and uh, he sort of did this thing where uh, I forget what song it was. And it might have been several songs he did this thing with, but um, he would sort of do uh, swapping solos, you know, back and forth, you know. So okay. uh, Broadwick, Broderick would start and he'd do some some crazy solo and then Dave would do a solo sort of an answer, you know. So it's like question, answer, question, answer for like a long time. And it was really cool. But every time it's just like Chris Broderick totally owns you on this <laughs> right. song. You know, right. it's, it's like what you're playing Dave is cool, but uh, yeah, you just... Uh, and you just you just brought up something that was so like one of those metal moments for me where you're talking about the question and the answer. And that takes me and maybe you've seen it. You probably have. You play guitar. You had to have seen this. Speaking of question and answer, Steve Vai and Eugene's trick bag from the movie Crossroads where they're dueling it out on oh stage. Oh, my God. <laughs> that great. Uh. I, I know it's not Ralph Macchio playing. It's Steve Vai doing both parts, but I still can't get enough of it. Oh, uh, it, it's, you know, one of those things. And I, I actually, I, I think I watch, I experience one of these things pretty much every day just on YouTube or watching stuff, whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's sort of like, why do I even bother trying to play guitar or anything like that? I see these amazing, amazing things that are like, they're godlike, godlike things that I can never even hope to achieve. Um, and they just sort of, you know, to me as a musician oh, no, myself, <laughs> but I'm like, why even bother? I'm, I'm putting all my stuff on eBay tomorrow. I mean, no, seriously, I shouldn't no, even bother, you know? No, no, no. <laughs> well, Steve Vai doesn't even play guitar. To me, he's like an abstract painter, the way he yeah, puts things yeah. together, where like a Satriani is, is really, you know, really technical, where Ingve, I'm not an Ingve fan, where to me you can have all the speed in the world, but you have no soul in what you play. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care about your dexterity. If if it doesn't move me, what good is it? But I mean, a lot of people swear by Ingve. I'm not one of them. Oh yeah. Uh, but I mean, but you know, so I, I Vi is just weird. He's a beekeeper. Of all the, I I, <laughs> I met him at a Nam show, and everybody was asking him, "What's your favorite guitar? What blah blah blah?" And I go, "Hey, you still making honey?" And he goes, "Oh yeah, no, we got a bunch of honey we're selling on eBay this year." He wanted to talk about the bees, and everybody's looking at me like, "What?" I'm like, you "Motherfuckers, don't do your homework." He's a beekeeper. We're gonna talk bees. That's so, hilarious. <laughs> wow. So he actually sells honey that Steve buy honey on eBay uh, usually every year because up here, I guess in Santa Monica, he, he's he's got his whole setup. So that's hilarious. Some Steve buy honey, folks. It's good. Man, yeah, I'd have tried it. Yeah. <laughs> You never guess what my first exposure to Steve Vai was. Uh, it was actually during his um, his tenure with Whitesnake. Sure, a lot of people, absolutely. Uh, I know he started pretty much with Zappa, but I had no idea about that. I think I, I did. I did catch him in those videos. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I was listening. It was um, uh, I, I forget which one of their album. Of course, I had a cassette of this, and it was live. And it was Whitesnake, and they were doing, like, in the still of the night, and all, all these songs. And all of a sudden, this guitarist got on there that was making sounds come out of this guitar that I've never heard a guitar make before. <laughs> right. And like, oh, my God, who is this? And it, it sounded, at times, it sounded like a record scratching, you know, sort of a DJ thing, and all kinds of squeals and amazing things. I'm like, is this the guy I just heard on this on the studio album on, on Whitesnake here? I mean, because this guy, I mean, what's he doing? And so, yeah. I, of course, I got interested in it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, Steve Vai, who's this? And so, of course, you know, it does amazing work. And, and going back to Zappa, which, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, Zappa is sort of beyond our scope here because he goes yeah. it's so into the 70s to even begin to explain him um, and what he did, you know, up through the 80s. And, of course, you know, he's... Uh, one of our, uh, you know, 
mark him down in the column for tragic deaths, you know, sure. uh, that were uh, way before his time. But, uh, you know, Zappa, I've, that could be a whole... I could do like a Zappa podcast, I think, and have something new and interesting to explore about Zappa like on a weekly basis because uh, that's how... You really could. Yeah. The Mothers of Invention, and if you could extend it to Dweezil and Moon. I mean, think oh, even, of all oh. the weird stuff that goes on there. Yeah, nowadays Zappa plays Zappa, is still touring, is still out there and just doing amazing things. And uh, um, yeah, with Adrian Ballou, um I don't know if you know who Adrian is. Oh. He, he played with Zappa. He was a guitarist. He started with Zappa. Okay. All right. And uh, then he became uh, part of King Crimson. Okay. And uh, oh, now, yes, now as a matter of fact, he is going to be part of the newest uh, sort of formation of Nine Inch Nails. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, that's that seems. I don't put anything past Trent. Did you <laughs> did you happen to catch his his live version of Cars with Gary Newman? No way. Oh my oh. God! You got to see it. It's on YouTube. <laughs> uh, just type uh, Nine Inch Nails. Um, cars, Gary Newman, HD. It's I forget where they did it. It's oh just phenomenal. I mean, you've got Trent actually. Uh, he's got like a, a tambourine. He's like shik, 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 shaking it as he's playing the keyboard, and it's, wow. it's just it's the most amazing thing you'll ever see. Seriously. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And Nine Inch Nail and, and Trent. That's a whole whole thing that's gonna. It was gonna be actually a huge part of my conversation here, just going off about. Uh, <laughs> What he was in my life, um, and I'm almost thinking we should kind of do a part two to this. And if you if you're cool with it, if you have oh some my, time, stop any anything uh, for you, Midnight Corey. Are you kidding me? You're the king of podcasting. Oh man, you say oh. I do. Just say the oh, word. Please, please, dude. That's uh, that's too kind of you. And before we jump um, off, Steve Vai, do you agree with me? I've had this weird that I think Steve Vai is to guitar kind of like what Les Claypool is to bass. Oh, that's. I think wow. they're kind of the same. I think they're powered by the same force. Not that I know exactly what it is. I think so. I think they sort of, uh, you know, it, it uh, goes back to what I said when I first heard him with Whitesnake was that, oh, my God, this guy makes sounds with guitars that I've never heard before. How does he do right. this? Right. I had that exact same reaction to Les Claypool. The first time I heard Primus, um, it was on the radio. Uh -huh. It was uh, Pork Soda. For some reason, they were playing, uh, you know, a lot of... Um, um, they played My Name is Mud. They played stuff from Sailing the Seas. So they played uh, Jerry Was Tommy a Race Car Driver and Tommy the, Cat. Uh, Tommy the Cat. And so I was thinking, I'm like, this guy plays bass. How is he making these sounds on the bass? I mean, this yeah. is ridiculous. I've never heard a bass. I mean, isn't a bass just supposed to go dun 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 You know? And how is he doing this? And so I sort of had the same reaction with both guys, and I've never heard that that uh, comparison between him and Steve Vai, but that is very, very, that's a, that's a totally legitimate uh, comparison there between nice. those artists. Wow. Good call, They're, man. Thank you. They're just both so off the scale of how you, how you or I would approach the instrument as to what they can do. And just, and it's just, you look at them. I mean, and less, I mean, has a lot more mechanically going on with his hands with what he has to do with popping and everything. But, but you just see their faces as, as they're doing it, and it's like it's nothing to them. It's just yeah. remarkable, the, the talent these guys have, <laughs> to make it look like, oh, it's nothing, as they're doing it. It just blows yeah. me away. Uh, again, uh, it, uh, to me, you know, the first thing that I picked up was bass, and it was because of Les. And um, 
It was actually an, another reason that I picked up bass was because of uh, Chris Novoselic from uh, Nirvana. Oh, sure. Um, but uh, yeah, that's uh, I, I look at uh, I look at Les, and every time I see him live, it's just like I sort of lose lose any. You know, I'm sort of motivated, but then I'm demotivated at the same time because I'm like, why am I even playing bass? Because Les is doing these amazing things so easily, apparently, that uh, I just I can't even. Never hoped well, to get to. Maybe you need to wear some suspenders, shoulder pad, and a miner's cap. Maybe oh. that'll make all the difference. Apparently, I do. Apparently. Les just wears some really wacky crap when he goes in. What's uh, he wearing? I just love the videos. What in the world? Let's go. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. But, but that's the whole Primus thing, just the weirdness. You know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's what they're banking on a lot of the times. Um, but, uh, well, I'll tell you what. Let's take this one up clear until we hit this brick wall with Nirvana. All right. And sort of what happened. After that, because of course there's a lot uh, <laughs> to be said um, from the early '90s on. Um, so let's save that till part two. But uh, a few yeah. other things that uh, uh, I'd like to bring up, uh, you know, sort of going into this whole shift in the paradigm of of music and heavy music and and, and metal and everything. Um, something. Uh, were you into uh, Green Jello? Uh yes, I was. Um. And what a weird, quirky little band. <laughs> yes. I, you know, Little Pigs kind of pulled everybody in, and we're like, okay. But I really liked a bunch of their other songs. Uh, like, Don't Call Me Dude kind of had me laughing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, God, I'm trying to think. It's been a long time. Uh, okay. <laughs> Do you remember the song? T- they have a song called The Flight of the Skijakwida? It was something like that, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I think I'm speaking Lithuanian. I'm not sure what I just said, but yeah. Uh, it was interesting, and what I liked most is that their drummer ended up going, being in Tool. Yes. It's just yeah. silly fuck-around ba- part. Am I allowed to swear? I'm sorry. Oh, Please. I don't care. Yeah, I don't care what you do here. Okay. So, um, so this isn't going as children's programming. Well, no, shit, no. I had this all wrong. No, <laughs> to go from a silly, quirky, kind of almost a cover band like, like Green Jello to Green Jelly... To then to be drummer for Tool, what a what a crazy ride that was. Well, Maynard James Keenan was in this oh. as well. He, you know, he had uh, he had a appearance in this uh, during some of that album. You know the Did uh, he? oh yeah yeah oh I didn't know that dude. Go to the wiki page about this. Th- this this band has had an immense amount of <laughs> people go through it throughout the years, and it started as like this comedy rock act, and they knew they had no talent in what they were doing, so they sort of <laughs> you know exploited that. They're just like we don't know what we're doing. We can hardly play our instruments, and so right. they were they were really punk and doing a lot of crazy stuff. And somehow, you know, all of a sudden, I heard this little pig song on the radio. You know, <laughs> I'm like, what is this? I've right. you know, again, I've never heard anything like this. And Green Jello, of course, you can go buy it at the record store. So I did, and so that song was on there. And this was a diverse album. They had a lot of really crazy diverse songs on there. Um, and they didn't care how offensive they got. There was one, no. uh, I forget, uh, what it was called, but it was extremely sexually explicit. Um, you know, sort of portraying a sex act, <laughs> like right in the middle of it. Oh, it was something teenage rave or uh, something. Uh, oh yeah. 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 It kind of had a red hot chili peppers feel. Yeah. To it. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Something teenage rave. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. I remember mm-hmm. now. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, okay. Not my favorite, but I, I do remember that track. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. But a crazy thing. And it was sort of a, you know, again, 
just a really uh, heavy sort of uh, Three Little Pigs thing that um, I think brought a lot of interest. And, you know, as, as the 80s were really coming to an end, this whole, you know, the whole hair metal thing, and uh, it were, it we're seeing a lot of heavier music come into it, there was something building there, and we didn't quite know what it was, you know, going into the 90s. Even looking uh, into, uh, you know, a band like Ugly Kid Joe. Yeah. Which was huge. And I bought into it. I, I bought that album. And I, uh, I liked a few of their songs. Uh, what was it? I liked So Damn Cool. Mm-hmm. And a couple other ones. Um, yeah. But I, I thought they were pretty competent. They weren't. They weren't so. They were, they were heavier than hair metal for sure. They were kind of that weird in between. And I liked them, I guess. Yeah. 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 And it captures, I think, a lot of. Uh, uh, Sort of uh, the mentality, what we're seeing uh, in the movie Airheads. I don't know if you ever watched Airheads. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Um, three amigos. Oh my gosh! I mean, no, no, the Lone Rangers. The Lone Rangers. But there's, but there's three of you. How are you alone? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> and that movie, I think, uh, you know, captures a lot of what was happening sort of during the early '90s, right before Nirvana, right before you know, before the whole grunge thing hit. And uh, a lot of these bands, sort of, this was the vein that they were in, just trying to make it. And uh, there was some sort of, there was almost a bubble there that was about to burst that nobody really saw coming. And um, so, um, but I think something, you know, a really, really important uh, artist um, and sort of a band associated with this artist that we haven't really touched on, that we did mention a couple times, uh, was Ozzy. Um, How into Ozzy? Were you, you know, especially throughout the 80s and up until maybe the, like, No More Tears sort of era? Um, I I liked Ozzy. I actually found a tape in a burnt-down house, and I thought, what is this? And I took it home, and it was, uh, oh, I think it was Blizzard of Oz. And someone had dubbed onto, like, some other, you know, tape like uh, <laughs> like you had. I had those two. Yeah. And, uh. I, I thought this is a really interesting album, and then uh, the live one with Randy Rhodes I, I thought was gr- was great. Oh, yeah. I was into Ozzy, but not super into Ozzy. Then of course, No Rest for the Wicked came out, and I kind of came back to Ozzy. And uh, I will say say what you want about Black Label Society, but he's he was the prettiest girl I ever saw on that album. Because I'll tell you what, <laughs> Zach Wild was one hot chick. That's uh... all I got to say. You wouldn't recognize him as the biker he is now, but he was whoo smoking hot. Oh yeah, yeah. He rivaled Tawny Katane in those White Snake videos. I don't know what was up with Zach Wilde. Oh, yeah, we've <laughs> we've we've seen uh, I think a little bit of that also in uh, another band that we share uh, a lot of uh, great feelings for, and that's Pantera. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> but uh, funny, Zach Wilde. Actually, now that I think about it, um, Zach Wilde is pretty much Zach Wilde and Randy Rhodes are pretty much the reason that I was ever into Ozzy. You know, if you disregard Black Sabbath and just just sort of uh, concentrate on Ozzy as, a, you know, the solo guy. Right. Um, you know, pretty much I I never really cared for the guy. You know, I I, I always cared for the music, I think, around him. Yeah, Which was Randy Rhodes and Zach Wilde. And, uh, you know, two <laughs> amazing, to put it, you know, to put it lightly, to understate it, amazing guitarists. Um, you know, even to this day, I, I so dig that you, you know, brought up Black Label, um, which is a great, uh, great band that is underappreciated, I think. Um, but, uh, I don't know. What's your take on that? You know, especially listening to, uh, you know, an album actually that got me really into Ozzy was No More Tears. Um, and the title track to that album is really heavy. Um, 
really, really cool. And that's the reason why I liked it so much. I didn't really like it so much that it was Ozzy and he was singing. I liked it because it was it was crazy heavy. Great, great guitar work. See, and we need to be more comfortable with saying these things because you're right. Because some people, if you go, you know, I was never really into Ozzy, they go, what? And look at you like you're crazy. But I can take that one step further. There, there are bands that I'm, because I'm into metal, that I'm supposed to love that I never have. I've never liked Led Zeppelin. <laughs> Couple songs. And I'm like, the rest of it, I mean, I get it. We're all Vikings. What the fuck? Are we LARPing? <laughs> what is this shit? Right? Yeah. I've never been a Zeppelin fan, though I do like a lot of Zeppelin covers that I hear people do. But never been a Zeppelin fan. I've always been kind of take it or leave it on Sabbath. I like a couple songs off every album, but that's really just about it. I know they're the godfathers of metal. Yeah, but I, it never was my thing. Uh, so in Ozzy, I, I like the music. But you say that and people look at you like your head's on backwards. What? You don't like Cotton? No, he's okay. You know, it is what it is. So it's all right that you're into Randy and, 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 um, and the Zach because, like me, you play guitar. And, th- and that's how we identify. When, when we hear these songs, our hands are moving and we're working up and down, we're working up and down frets for a guitar that's not even in our hand. Right. Because, you know, I mean, and that's how you and I, I'm sure, both identify with a lot of this music is with our hands and our ears. Right. So, um, so it's okay. I can't sing with a shit. So, no, I don't identify with any vocalist. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> yeah, and it's hard. It's hard um, when you think of vocalists, when you think of front men, um, because uh, that's, that's something that I think translates live um, and that you really have to see live to appreciate them to the fullest extent. You know, Ozzy being one of them, and I, I, I just really wish, <laughs> I, I so wish I would have seen Ozzy before the whole Black Sabbath reunion, because I'll tell you, I've seen Sabbath a few times, um, starting with the 90s and, and, and mm-hmm. going up, and Ozzy has been downright embarrassing. I mean, I, I felt embarrassed for him. You know, I'm watching what yeah. he does, and I'm like, you're just old and, and weird, and, and yeah, I, mean, I mean, just stop, stop. Right. Stop I'm, what you're doing. I, I'm you flipping know. through my ticket stubs here. Saturday, October 26, 1996, I went to the first OzFest. It was out here, the wow. Glen Helen Blockbuster Pavilion. An amazing show. I mean, Fear Factory, Danzig, Biohazard, Ozzy, Sepultura, Slayer, you name it, everybody was there. And I was so heartbroken because you know what Ozzy did? He walked from one side of the stage to the other, shuffling like an old man looking watching the teleprompters the whole way because he didn't remember a lot of the words and it just broke my heart i'm like fuck really and this is long before you know the osborne's on tv maybe he's better now but it just just to watch him go back and forth it just broke my heart i'm like it's like i was watching my my grandfather it's like what are you doing out there come on music was great that's why i was there but just hurt to watch him. So we're and you've seen him more recently. Is he still? Has he gotten better? Or is that still what he no, does? No, he's still sort of hobbling around, and he's done this really embarrassing. Now, of course, it's it's probably been now thinking back. I think the last time I saw him was Ozfest 1999, and so okay. that's been a good what 14 years now almost. And um, he did so just three th- years after I saw it. So yeah, he so he he was yeah well, yeah. And before that, I saw him in uh, I think it was 96. I think one of their one of their uh, I don't know if the first second uh, you know Black Sabbath reunion tour whatever it was right right and he did this really this thing where he would sort of get down on all fours and sort of do this frog hop 
sort of thing. What? While he wasn't saying it, it was the damnedest thing, and I'm trying to figure out what was he doing. But it was stupid. I mean, literally, he'd be standing up on his feet and put his hands down on the stage, and hop up and down, in place, sort of off of all fours. And I'm like, Ozzy, what are you doing? That looks stupid. And he'd right. be there like, and he did but it. And both fans shows. losing their minds, going, "Yeah!" Like, why are you yelling? <laughs> yeah, I'm sort of like Ozzy. <sighs> no, you want to hug him? Give me. Oh, come on, get off the stage. It's like, man. Exactly. And, and folks, we're not saying we we hate Ozzy. We're saying that no. that there's a level of performance, of consistency, and of just you know putting on a good. Sh- there's there's a level of showmanship that everybody should strive to have. Yeah, yeah. Because I've seen some really good shows, and I know when I see shows that just aren't that good. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that was like I said, I felt embarrassed for him because he holds such a high place. Um, in my mind, in my heart, you know, he's he's a legend. He has uh, been so influential, and uh, you know, just to to see him, to see him aging and just doing all these weird things. I'm like, Ozzy, this just isn't this isn't what I expect from somebody of your level. And right, not saying I I have lost any respect for him as an artist because obviously, like I, you know. Maybe I was a little hard on him saying, you know, I, I don't really like him. Maybe I like the musicians he's sort of surrounded with and, and everything. But that's not to say that that's not sort of a brilliant guy saying, wow, this guitarist is great. Wow, this band I have around me is great. Certainly. Wow, I know how to pick musicians and I know how to make a great album with these people. And so that's what he's done. And wow. so I, I think on a level, uh, you know, a certain level, he's he's actually, <laughs> despite all the the insanity he's been involved in over the decades with, with drugs, party and everything. I mean, he's, he, he's a smart guy. Yeah. He's, I mean, love him or hate him. You can't minimize the impact he's had on heavy metal and the things that he's done and, and the guitarist that he's brought to the forefront. I mean, now he's playing with Gus and, and Gus is another amazing guitarist, but uh, yeah, his, his importance to the world of heavy metal. um, No one can ever take that away. Right, right. Not even his own silly antics. You see the the, the Osbournes <laughs> where where Sharon was. Here's your new stage prop, and they're blowing bubbles around in the air, and he's looking around. He's like, "I'm the Prince of Fucking Darkness, and there's bubbles." <laughs> oh, <laughs> poor Ozzy. Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, Sharon defends him to the death, and I have to give that to her. You know, she doesn't put up with anything that anybody says bad no. about Ozzy or anything. She's. Uh, hey. And she loved him when he wasn't such a good person and when he wasn't yeah. so rich. I mean, she and, you know, right. anyway, good for them both. Right, right. But um, so sort of working up to this Nirvana brick wall and everything that I think we should do a part two to, um, um, you know, even uh, you know, Pantera is sort of uh, they're sort of a separate storyline to all of that because uh, they they started uh, before Nirvana. Actually, they were sort of working their success um sort of working up to that before nirvana ever hit and yeah. i don't think they were ever really affected by nirvana other than they probably had a lot of fans that were sort of investigating a lot of heavier music and and sort of more aggressive styles up until yeah. then um but uh, I'd, I'd sort of like to save some pantera discussion maybe you know uh for part two because uh, i think that has to do you know much more with the mid to late 90s mm-hmm. um but uh, Ooh, okay. is there anything else uh before that whole Nirvana thing that uh, you'd like to bring up? 
Oh. I mean, we haven't well, talked about ACDC a lot. I, I mentioned, uh, you know, seeing their videos. I've never seen them live. But uh, Nor have I. Nor have I. Uh, they've always kind of... I'm not a huge ACDC fan. Aside, I mean, every album they come out with is like one or two songs I really like. And I can probably say that up to Razor's Edge. I don't think I've listened to anything since. Yeah. But, but Who Made Who is always going to be in my heavy rotation. Mm-hmm. I just, for some reason... Yeah. I, I think it's partially where I grew up. I was born in Oakland, raised in the San Francisco Bay Area, and there were so many rock stations that you could you could every station was playing back in black or you shook me all night long at least once an hour. And I <laughs> if I never hear them again, it's still too soon. I've right. had enough, just enough of this shit. Yeah. Uh, and that was the ba- that was the backyard. My see, and I, I want to hear who your local bands were, like when you were able to start going to shows, because where where I was, where I lived, in the area, we had, I mean, from there, Metallica, Faith No More, Exodus, Slayer, uh, to some degree, maybe even a little bit of Megadeth if you wanted to go a bit south, and I love them, but I so love the Eastern bands, like Anthrax is a great example, and the Clash of the Titans tour was phenomenal. It was almost. It was. Uh, was it was Slayer, Testament? Oh, Testament was also a local band. Yeah. Slayer, Testament, Anthrax, and Alice in Chains opened. It was a great wow. show, and I had no idea why. As people are booing Alice, Alice in Chains, <laughs> had no idea how big and how great a voice Lane had, mm-hmm. and how much I was going to miss him and miss his voice still. Oh my God! One of those vocalists that just. You know, anyway, who were you when you started seeing shows and you became aware of, well, we're going to see these guys two or three times because they're local to us. Who were your local bands? Ah, that's rough. Pittsburgh, um, you know, is pretty much my go to area. And Pittsburgh is a huge, huge classic rock, Uh, you know, very going back to the 70s. Um, So, man, man, it it was tough. as far as metal goes and uh, and everything, we, uh, we had a really, really strong death metal kind of thing going. And it wasn't on a huge, um, you know, mainstream sort of, uh, sort of thing. But East Coast seemed to be really, really huge for death metal. Um, yeah. You know, especially bubbling up from Florida. Because Florida, I don't, I don't know what it is about Florida, but they seem to spawn <laughs> pretty much every influential death metal band that was ever put out there. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, cannibal anything corpse. Not, anything <laughs> not Norwegian comes out of Florida. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. And and so you know, consequently, that they always toured up north, east coast, right. and uh, we saw a lot of uh, a lot of death metal. So you know, a lot of that kind of thing, a lot of obituary and uh, yeah, relapse records tended to uh, put their chores up and down the east coast, and not so much out in the west coast, which made me mad. But anyway, yeah, yeah. and so that was uh, that was a lot of what we saw up here, and. Uh, you know, of course, a lot, a lot of the same bands hit Pittsburgh, you know, Pittsburgh, Philly, you know, we saw a lot of that. But, um, you know, as far as sort of the regular big things, it, you know, it, it was a lot of really, uh, like I said, classic rock acts and uh, and then the more extreme kind of things. Right. So and of course, the death metal thing, you know, that, oh, man, we could almost do a part three on, on death metal. <laughs> Because wow, that starts in the '80s and uh, just 
is still going strong today as far as I'm concerned, you know, especially with Cannibal Corpse. So they're sort of the yeah. flagship death metal band of all time. And um, and the life and death of Chuck from death. I and mean, that was, uh, yeah. Talk about a guy taken too soon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Brain cancer is just frightening. Yeah. Um, man, but I will say what Pittsburgh may have lacked in proprietary bands they made up for with being, oh, nothing, the heart of everything zombie. Oh, yeah. yeah well, so there you jealous. go. You know, that's. That's my bragging rights right there. Yeah. I'm so you have no idea. Uh, I know. And you said, "Yeah, I used to go to that mall." I'm like, "That motherfucker <laughs> oh, makes me mad." All the more reason why you should come out here, and we'll hang out in Pittsburgh, and I'll take you to some sites. Oh, that'd and, be great. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, you heard it, folks. He's he's guaranteeing me a, an around the world tour of Pittsburgh, and don't think I won't show up because I definitely want to go. I know the mall's different. I still want to go. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Just to stand on that ground that you know that so many zombies were were killed at. Um, but yeah, yeah. I hope you will because I, I'll totally do any excuse I can get to go down there and do that whole circuit again, man. I will. That's I so will. Great. Oh yeah, but uh, you know Pittsburgh. It, you know it's it's sort of weird, but uh, you know we do get a lot of uh, a lot of big names through here, and that's uh, you know sort of a major stop, and uh, so uh, we do have our fair share of uh, great bands, but. Uh, whole local thing you know i mean we're a we're a blue collar sort of town you know a lot of steel workers a lot of that sure. kind of thing and uh and so you go to the bars and that's what you want to hear i mean you know it, it it's strange you know you you go to the bar after you know working 60 hours at the steel mill and you want to you want to hear some some back in black you want to hear some some donny oh, yeah. iris you want to hear you know some yeah, uh, absolutely. uh scorpions and everything like that and uh scorpions you know, that's another one that uh Sort of in the vein of like Queensryche and yeah. uh, a lot of those weird bands that I was never into, and I sort of Me, hear you know. Nowadays. Neither was I, but you're like every but I every now and then, you know, like Scorpions will come on, and I'll go, oh okay, right, this guy Klaus or whatever, and got no hair, wearing that weird cap, all right, you know, <laughs> and I, I can listen to the song, but they seem to be like. To me, that was what they would play at the baseball game, you know, when there's when something's going on and we got to kill two minutes while some guy broke his foot, you know, right. and they're dragging him off with quick put scorpions on. Right, right. That you know, <laughs> seemed to be what it was. Rock you like a you. hurricane. Yeah. Right. So uh, now coming in, this one pitcher, got a noodle right. arm, got to warm up. Yeah. Rocks like a hurricane blasting. Oh, yeah. God. Makes me think of like Queen, you know, like 80s Queen and th things like that, too. I mean, there are a lot of bands that we could lump in there that yeah. were, yeah, I think very competent bands. And were they metal? Well, yeah, sure. You know, they, yeah. they had some great metal guitarists and elements in there, but uh, have... Uh, kind of went the other way, though. Yeah, I mean, I, they, had all, they had all the right ingredients, but the cake just came out a bit different. Don't understand. Well, they haven't aged well. It you know, it's like my nuclear assault cake. What? <laughs> It's kind of German. Hmm. <laughs> oh, man. Well, before we conclude uh, this phenomenal, phenomenal thing that, uh, again, just what we've talked about tonight, we could go into, I think, deeper and deeper and deeper and just uh, talk about more artists, more bands, more stuff we've listened to and just been influenced by and, and affected by. Um, anything else uh, you want to bring up uh, band-wise, artist-wise that we haven't covered? Um Oh God, I've got about a thousand. Uh, but if, if I'm trying to limit it, well, before these, Nirvana, of course, or, yeah, and uh, that whole thing. Oh, man, I brought up S.O.D. 
and the weird derivative MOD that came out afterwards. <laughs> yes. Anthrax. M-O-D. Dead Milkman. I mean, there's the whole punk thing. Oh, um, yeah. That oh. Uh, are, are very, you know, they're related to metal, but not all, uh, you know, punk bands, I think, are, you know, are heavy, of course. Um, but there are the big ones. You mentioned Misfits, uh, you know, with a Black Flag oh, yeah. and Flipper and. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, we, my we God. Could, Just so much. Uh, we, we could do a whole punk one. Circle Jerks. Oh, my God. I mean, it's. Uh, yeah, bad There's so many things. Yeah. We could run down. Oh, God. This could be hours and hours and hours. Oh, yeah. And the and difference just, is, actually, it sounds like that you were actually into a lot of the punk aspect of this before I was, because I was never into punk. And this, of course, I'm going to repeat in part two, because we're going to be talking about Nirvana. Uh, but, um, you know, I didn't really look back to punk music until I was really in high school. I think it was like 1994. And uh, I started getting into things that Kurt Cobain were, you know, he he suggested, you know, Black Flag, yeah, and Flipper, the Angry Samoans, the the Melvins, the Melvins, Melvins, absolutely, the Melvins. I could, I I think I could do a Melvins podcast. God, he loved the Melvins. He loved the Meat Puppets. I mean, you go down the list of everything, right? I mean, he, uh, and which funny also influenced a lot of metal guys as well. Uh, Slayer made a whole album of punk covers. Yeah. Uh, Oh, dude. I forgot that album. That was uh, what hatred something. Uh, what was no, that? it was a uh, undisputed attitude. Undisputed. Yes. Oh, I forgot Songs like about Richard that. hung himself and all kinds of uh, guilty of being white. That's Tons my favorite stuff. Slayer album. That's a great album. Yeah, I uh, think you know, and that might be blasphemy for some people, but for somebody no. like me, dude, no, that is my f- guilty for being white. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> who puts out an album like that? Uh, well, at that time, punk bands they weren't mm. afraid to, you know, say what they were thinking. Um, but oh yeah, I'm trying to think because we're going to save. I mean, because we could probably do a whole show on Pantera and Pantera derivatives like Down and, uh, and uh, Superjoint. Yeah, Superjoint. Yeah, absolutely. We could we could probably do. And as soon as we're done and we stop recording, I've got a great story to tell you about Pantera. All right. Well, let's let's uh, let's at least agree to a part two. Oh, yes. Which please. which may lead to uh other things but uh who knows and i think that's the brilliance of uh doing a podcast and just leaving it wide open man and and trying not to release an episode that is like eight hours long <laughs> yeah, absolutely because that's what we could do but uh man it has been absolutely <laughs> brilliant man it's it's you know we've we've literally talked you know face to face or skype to skype whatever you want to call sure. it like one time before this but uh, I feel like we've we've talked like forever. Like I, I've known you for a long time. Like you're a you're a good friend of mine that I'm just hooking up with again. And absolutely, sort of that's out. the beauty. That's the beauty of this kind of music. And and not to seem weird, but like the brotherhood of this kind of music in your mm-hmm. formative years of discovering these great sounds and these emotions and this raw power and energy, because yeah. it is about all of us being together. Yeah, you know. Um, so absolutely. Yeah. Well, dude, thank you so much for. Uh, using up so much time on a, on a weekend. <laughs> Anytime, that, uh, please. It's free to you. Soon. But of course, Mike, uh, a little dead podcast is of course your home where you do some brilliant work. Like I said, you've, uh, you know, influenced what I've been watching and you, you're, you're spot on, man. You know what you're talking about. So, uh, let's, uh, 
that's very gracious and thank you. I'm thinking you probably haven't listened for about a year if you're saying those such nice things. <laughs> well, no, dude, you just did. What was the last one? You just put something up right now. It was for, uh, uh, what'd you just post? Like in the past few days here, it was something uh, um, for, uh, what was it? House by the Cemetery. Yes. That I was, was awesome. Like, gets it. That was awesome. I'd love well, House by the Cemetery and I know you and do I, too. And I'd I love. I saw the wrong version though. The version I, I reviewed. Yeah was like the expurgated version with all the coolness taken out. It looked like a DivX file. I was so pissed. Well, the problem anyway. with that is, I mean, they sell that movie on like every sort of 50 pack of yeah. zombie films or whatever. So that's, that's sort of tough to find a good one. But I love, I love Fulci. So mm-hmm. you, you gotta, you gotta take it as it comes. Uh, but, uh, but thanks you. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Oh, and we're going to keep going as soon as we stop recording. I'm not done talking to you yet. Oh, I can't Netflix. wait. I can't wait. Well, of course, uh, everybody check out a little dead podcast. Mike, wh- uh, where's uh, what's the URL for that? Because I don't I, have that offhand. It is a littledead.com. Awesome. Awesome. I'm going to play a uh, promo clip for that because uh, you guys make so many <laughs> really awesome ones, actually, that I enjoy just listening to myself. Um, but uh, fantastic show. You and McPierce and, and everyone. It's, uh, it's uh, a great time. Thank you. I would love to tell people to listen to the electric chair, but guess what, folks? You already are, and oh, it kicks yeah. ass. Wow. Well, well, sometimes. Uh, sometimes. No, always. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Very kind words. Well, of course, we're wrapping up this episode, and we will be continuing this with Mike Zombie, and um, it's been uh, great fun. Uh, I am at uh, electricchairshow.com and electric, electric chur show on Twitter. Um, that's, of course, Electric CHR Show on Twitter. Um, I'm uh, also available on Facebook and um, also a lot of other social media. So go to my website and find that out and follow me. I'm on iTunes. And um, actually, Mike, it's a, it, it, I'd really like to get your take on my latest iTunes review, which gave me one star, which actually fascinates me. I'm not mad. I'm actually fascinated. Excuse me? Oh, yeah. Yeah, one star. <laughs> um, somebody went up there, and I think they're... Um, Sort of a, a, a horror palace, uh, you know, former horror palace uh, fan. So uh, this, oh, I think oh. has a lot to do with it. But that's okay. I don't care. Um, but well, it's sort of fun. But um, so if people that that just cracks me up, folks, if you if you listen, if you listen to the electric chair, if you've listened to Corey throughout the years, he's endured throughout the years for a reason. One, he's the best voice in podcasting ever. I don't give a shit. It's just that way. I listen to a ton of podcasts. And when whenever I hear Corey, I kind of kick back. Okay, folks, when I'm in the car, I went on vacation last year and drove my girlfriend almost up to Saskatchewan. You know what? And I was listening. I had old uh, some of Corey's old shows listening when you were talking about the birth of your son and how excited you were. And I was like, this is great. Oh, wow. And my girlfriend was my girlfriend had never even heard his show, doesn't like scary movies and loved his podcast because he's well spoken. So if you got one star, Corey, from somebody who used to like, uh, you know, the horror palace, please come on. <laughs> Well, that's what I'm assuming. Um, those are very nice words from you, Mike. I, wow. My head is just... I don't think I can get up the stairs now. My head is so big, it's going to sort of get caught on the walls here as I'm Folks, trying to go that, back upstairs. People, but, that, people that make podcasts like like Midnight Corey for a reason. He's informed. He sounds great. And I, I, I couldn't be any happier that I'm here right now because, ha uh, I finally made it. Well, this, this review <laughs> I was especially entertained by, you know, one star... And it says, uh, this guy's show is yuckified. <laughs> it sounds like you a... You can't even take this serious. 
I know, I know, which is why I have so much fun with it. it. It's 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 great. Sounds like a groundhog is in his mouth. Okay, hold on. Have we overlooked the this might be a really pissed off ex girlfriend? Wow. Hmm. Uh, there know. are a lot of those out there. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe maybe some loud mouth ex show host. I don't know. I just going on with that groundhog. Oh my god. I just love the term yuckified and like I have a groundhog in my mouth. Which is actually sort of flattering. I mean I don't think I could actually fit a groundhog in my mouth. Um although I'm sure after the appropriate amount of beers I'd be willing to try. <laughs> Anytime this has been this has been my feelings on any type of criticism. Anytime people resort to wordplay or name calling or name changing to make their argument, it's like I don't care if somebody hates the president. I couldn't care in either way. But when people are calling him Obama and stop, you need to make a valid point because it goes right out the window. So if people are making fun of words, please seriously, yuckify. Well, that's, that's sort of a. To me, that sort of transformed this whole one-star review into a five-star. You know, to me, that's uh, Corey, <laughs> that's actually I, awesome. They can they can actually come up with things like that. Listening to me, Corey, sort of cool. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna beg you, just as a friend, since we've grown up together and went through all this metal music together, and we oh, know yeah. each other well now. Don't don't walk away from podcasting. Oh, dude. Don't let this break your heart. I know <sighs> this is a crushing. One star can strip a man of his pride in his soul, but not you. Yeah. I don't see that in you. I'm gonna rise above. You know, I hope, but uh, and <laughs> I, I hope so, because Daryl will jump off a bridge if you stop. Uh, yeah. Oh so. my God! Well, podcasting is like crack. You know, you try, <laughs> Isn't it? you try to leave it, which I have tried. I've, I've damn well tried, you know, a couple times, but then again. Just the whole the whole sweet high that you get off of it, man. You can't forget. Absolutely so, not. You got to do it again. So, okay. Well, I've I've extended this, uh, you know, longer than I really intended. But Mike, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, dude, I can't wait for part two. So let's, um, yeah, let's uh, let's get in cahoots about this, and uh, really, I can't wait. What you have to say for uh, after after hours here on the podcast <laughs> but uh, man thank you again a little dead podcast is brilliant and uh, we'll be talking again soon my friend thanks talk to you soon all right